So my name is Ayanka Granison. I'm a proud climate justice advocate, and I stand for climate and gender justice in the Caribbean. Welcome to the Climate Conscious Podcast. I'm your host, Paula Joseph, and today we're joined by Dr. Anka Grandison for the Truth Be Told campaign. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do? Uh, Sure. Um, So my name is Ayanka Grandison, and I'm currently Resilience Lead at the Caribbean Natural Resources Institute, Canary for short, which is a regional NGO that works across the Caribbean islands to promote environmentally sustainable, inclusive, and resilient development. I've been with Canary for almost seven years, and I'm based in Trinidad, where I'm born and bred. I was very happy to return to after living abroad for almost 15 years. So my work focuses right now on building the resilience of local communities, their livelihoods, and the natural ecosystems they depend on in the face of the climate crisis and a range of related disasters, from understanding how people are vulnerable, to planning how we can reduce the problem and adapt to the impacts, to supporting rollouts of more practical actions, not just at the community level, but also looking at relevant policy at national, regional, and global levels to tackle the crisis. Um, Most recently, as part of this work, I've been convening the Caribbean Climate Justice Alliance. Uh, This was established in March, 2022, and brings together over 40 NGOs, grassroots activists, academics, creators, um, and other media personnel to amplify local voices for climate justice across the region, including a focus on gender justice, social and racial justice, and environmental justice. Awesome. In your view, how is climate change and gender equality connected? So, you know, climate change affects everyone, but not everyone is impacted in the same way. So women and girls, men and boys, and even persons of non-binary gender identities are differently impacted. For example, when we have a flood or there's drought or more intense storms or hurricanes and the resulting effects on food security, water security, infrastructure and access, livelihoods, employment, and even health. So the solutions that we need must be gender responsive and inclusive, taking into account these differences. So a simple example from work that I'm doing with small-scale fisher folk in the Eastern Caribbean is that while the fishermen going out to catch fish will be facing increasing, for example, safety at sea concerns and damage to boats and fishing gear when they're out at sea, If they are registered and licensed as fishermen, they can access government-run social protection schemes when they lose fishing days and lose income. 
while the fish vendors and processors who are at the market and who are often women may have less fish to sell and they're also facing disruptions to their power and water supply, you know, with storms, etc. But they are largely informal workers, so they often can't access these government-run social protection schemes. And so we need to really think about these different sort of situations, contacts, roles that people play when we're putting in place different projects, programs, policies, etc. And I think it's also useful to think about that, for example, for women fish vendors. They may be further disadvantaged if they have small children or they have elderly or sick family at home to take care of that limits their ability to go out and earn an income. Um, and also just beyond just thinking about women and girls, because gender impacts are not just about them. There are situations, for example, where maybe young black males may be most vulnerable due to lack of employment, facing gun violence or other types of risks. And so really, if we want to ensure fair and just outcomes for our actions that don't make vulnerable groups like women and girls, young poor black males, people of LGBTQ or other sort of non-binary identities worse off, then we need to take gender equity and equality seriously and take into account specific needs, different roles and responsibilities that people play and the systemic biases that these different groups face as they experience and respond to climatic and other impacts. So I think that's why it's really important to try to be very nuanced and inclusive in how we approach climate action. What is the significance of the Caribbean Climate Justice and Resilience Agenda 2023 to 2030? So the Caribbean Climate Justice Alliance, which I mentioned earlier that the organization that I work for helps to convene, has worked collectively amongst all of us who are part of the alliance to develop what's being called as Caribbean Climate Justice and Resilience Agenda. And it's really highlighting eight priority areas for action to ensure more fair and just climate action that meets the needs of the most vulnerable and wider civil society in our region. So these priorities range from reducing emissions to cap global temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is critical for a livable future for all small islands. And people will be familiar with that refrain, 1.5 to stay alive. There's also priorities about scaling up just locally led and even nature-based solutions for adaptation and building resilience in our communities, improving access to climate finance for local action, and of course, ensuring gender equity, intergenerational equity, and a more rights-based approach for climate justice. So the agenda is really meant to be a call to action and to promote collective advocacy. Um, on issues that are often, I think, marginalized in the wider climate conversations that we're having at national, regional, and even global levels. So we actually officially launched it at COP28 in Dubai, and it has been endorsed by over 50 um, different groups across the region and counting. And I think through amazing initiatives like this Truth Be Told campaign, um, that this video features part of, we're really beginning to roll out some of the actions for climate justice identified in the agenda. And we'd like to see this work continue up to 2030, you know, trying to make sure that these priorities that we're calling for are addressed. 
Um, and if people are interested in checking out the agenda and even considering endorsing it, they can visit our website, www.canary.org, um, and check it out and learn more. So essentially, both individuals and organizations can support. Okay, excellent. Yes. Okay, so what were your thoughts on the COP28 proceedings and outcome as they relate to the Caribbean region? So as I said, um, we were actually at COP28 in Dubai. And in a while, it started off very promising with the loss and damage fund that made world news being announced on day one which looks to address the sort of worst impacts of the climate crisis to which we really cannot adapt or recover easily. And they actually had over 700 million US in initial pledges by developed countries for the fund. But beyond that, it was kind of disappointing in the end. So for example, there was a global stock take of the Paris Climate Agreement, which was signed back in 2015 on what implementation has happened so far and that was kind of wrapped up at COP. And that stock take showed that we're currently way off track where we need to be to avoid the worst climate impacts. But the outcomes of the final negotiations were fairly weak in response to the stock take. So for example, in terms of mitigation to reduce emissions, there was agreement on phasing out coal but not on phasing out oil and gas by 2030, which is kind of where we need it to happen quite quickly so we don't really go beyond that 1.5 degree Celsius temperature increase you know, that we've been calling for, and we don't move beyond 2 degrees Celsius warming, etc., which is really getting into the area of dangerous levels of warming that we won't be able to kind of really adjust to. So this is not really good news for us because, you know, in the context of, for example, last year, 2023 broke all of the temperature records and we're only at 1.15 degrees Celsius temperature increase right now. So imagine what 1.5 would be like and even worse, 2 degrees Celsius or more. So, you know, that is definitely something that was a bit disappointing. Um, in terms of actually adaptation to the impacts that we're seeing from flooding, from sea level rise, coastal erosion, and all of these different things, there was actually surprisingly little progress, given that there was lots of talk in the lead up to COP about the importance of adaptation and actually doubling the amount of finance that we put to this. Um, there was some welcome initiatives, though, in that space, particularly in terms of promoting more climate smart regenerative agriculture and really looking at food and water security. Uh, but overall, it was a bit disappointing and not much came out of the negotiations in that aspect. In terms of finance, there's always a lot of chat about how much money there's going to be for us to address this problem. So people would have heard about this 100 billion US goal um, that we've been trying to achieve. So that long overdue goal, which was supposed to be met since back in 2020, was finally met um, as of end of 2024. And so there was this kind of celebration that we've actually managed to leverage that much funding, but obviously it's not enough. Um, and there were some significant pledges to some of the big global funds, like the Green Climate Fund, the Adaptation Fund, that provide much needed financing to our islands. 
Um, but in terms of thinking about the trillions of dollars that we need to move forward, there wasn't that much concrete discussions on setting a new finance goal beyond 2025, now that we've reached the 100 billion US goal. So I would really have liked to see much bolder, much more urgent, accelerated action to tackle the climate crisis at COP and to really address the issues that matter for our region. Um, so that's kind of my reflections coming out of COP and what happened in Dubai. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Climate Conscious Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at theclimateconscious at gmail.com or simply leave a review on your favorite app. Remember to follow The Climate Conscious on all social media platforms. See you next week.